Hey, what's good, people? This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 124, maybe 123. That looks like Holly McPeak, and we're going to find out. The episode starts <laughs> right now. Okay, people, you have asked, and you have asked, and you have asked, and asked, and you shall receive. Because for me, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. Dun, 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 dun. What's good, Holly? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, Holly McPeak in the house. I don't know if this is episode 123 or 124. We're going to edit this later and repair what I have already broken before we even gotten started. So, so Holly, uh, just a quick education for everybody who's lived on another island who has no idea about any sport. Holly McPeak, a three-time Olympian, NCAA champion, I think at UCLA. I remember, I remember you were at Cal before, right? With, yeah. You were at the smart kids school and then you were like, I want to play volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect, I'm just playing. Um, and before we start, just so you know where I'm coming from, so I don't sound like a total weirdo, I'm a volleyball purist. I'm not a particular fan of players. I'm more of a, fan, a follower of the sport, though I do have my exceptions, you know, Trevor Crabb, Chrissy Jones, you know. But with that being said, not to make you blush or anything, but there is not a player, female or male, that I respect more than you the 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 work you put in on the court the way you inspire people the way your philanthropy off the court the the way you coach your, your commentaries on point you're like one of the top five commentators I, I think i'm in that category though no one knows me but there's no one so the little fanboy in me is taking over but i promise i'm not going to drive us off the cliff with that okay um, but no, I'm a I fan, and there's Thank no one you. I respect, not a single volleyball player. Um, and, and I told Rick Amen this too, Ricky Amen. If you we go, you know, as far as going back in the day, UCL Puerto Rican guy from UCLA. Yeah. Um, so, a lot to talk about, but let's start with something really, really fun. Okay. I first saw you play, I believe, in '95, and between '95 and '96, you were in running for Sportswoman of the Year. Right, you were nominated Sportswoman of the Year. The president of the Women's Sports Foundation, Dr. Holly Anderson, um, at that year was on one of the voters. And I worked for Dr. Holly Anderson in, a, in her cardiology practice for 17 years. So uh, it's her and Dr. Rosenfeld. So a little bit of a small world, if you will. Yeah. And she's like, I'm torn on betting with voting for Holly McPeak. And I was like, Holly, just go, Holly, <laughs> go, Holly. <laughs> oh, man. So. So I go back that far from that to, wow. to your Olympics and this and that. And then Chi DiMaggio, of course, you know, showed me some old videos, Jackie Silva and this. And Chi's a, Chi's a name from the past. Uh, um, you might remember um, with a name like Chi. I don't know. Maybe either you know or you, or you don't. Um, and if you don't, that's okay. Yeah, so, no, it sounds familiar. I mean, that's such yeah. a small world. I know a lot of those people. But Jackie Silva was one of the pioneers of really the elevating the women's beach volleyball i mean she came from brazil and just like blew everybody's mind took yep. it to another level yep hey listen um best team ever to play man waltz right the most yes. respected player in the sport i'm looking at her uh the goat the goat man do your research people jackie silva that woman she didn't need to re uh, reinvent her game when she got older it was already there <laughs> She was, she was special. I mean, I think what she did was really put women's beach volleyball on the map. She showed that women could be powerful, uh, dynamic. She brought hand setting. She was fearless. Um, it, beach volleyball for women was already here, but she really elevated it, helped put it on the map. It was, she, you know, I got to, when she came from Brazil, she would come to Marine Street where I grew up and she would practice and every once in a while she'd need somebody to serve her ball. So I would So Jackie and I go way back, um, you know, I was 14 years old at the time. But um, what she did for the sport was really special. Yeah, she um, yeah, first openly gay player. Right. Um, yeah. Well, at a high profile. Um, do your research people Olympic gold medalist, the first Olympics in um, Atlanta? Right. Yes. And that was, um, well, that was also yours. It was everyone's first, but that was your first Olympics too, right? Yeah. 
Is yeah. that the one you won the bronze or did you win it in Greece? No, it, it, you know, in fact, we were the favorites to win the gold medal and my partner, Nancy Arena, tore her right hitting shoulder rotator cuff in the, I think, believe it was the Dan- December or January heading into the Olympics, not enough time to surgically repair it. So she tried to kind of work around it and we just kind of lost all our rhythm as a team and did not have a good Olympics. Right. Okay, question for... I guess because we're both juniors coaches and 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 I'm coaching a couple of pros, whatever Jeff Samuels and some of my friends. What is there a different level of preparedness for the Olympics as 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 opposed to what you would do on the domestic scene? As far as I mean, like in the AVP, like you're surrounded by an army of coaches. You know, most of the tournaments are within your region. You can drive in this and that, like the big three, right? Like Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, and Huntington, all all within rel- a relative zip code. So is there a certain level of prepared, preparedness um, in relation to your coaching in the Olympics where it's kind of like an isolation because you're, you're at a site where all the coaches aren't traveling with you? Is, is how much, what um, differences and similarities? Let's start with similarities. What, what are some things that stay the same? Well, one, you're going to have a coach with you and a team around you helping you prepare. But the the challenges of being at the Olympic Games are logistics. Um, You can get to the practice facility. You have limited time. Um, Not everybody can come help support you on that Olympic venue. So usually U.S. athletes have they call it an Olympic training campus in that country nearby where they can go get everything they need. But of course it's not the venue. So those are challenges. And then it's just all the, the distractions and the um, you know, you play and then you have a whole day off and then you play and that just it's, and then getting to places, it's not easy getting out of the Olympic village and getting to places and, you know, so it's just kind of managing all the distractions, the stresses, the challenges, and being there, you know, having someone with experience who knows that you're going to be dealing with that stuff, that really helps. Because otherwise, it's really frustrating, it can take you out of your game, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, all right, here's here's another question. Just remind you, this is a conver- like a conversation. This isn't like an interview per se. So anytime you, you want to dialogue, speak off the cuff, or you want to a- ask ask me questions that go beyond personal, I'm an open book too. Um, with that being said, do you feel more prepared being in a domestic tournament because maybe you play multiple matches within a three-day period? Um, like, look, I'm five years into this whole beach thing, but I'm like a 20 year indoor player and coach. So, so, but for me playing grass and and playing a little bit of beach, I had more energy playing eight games in a row (laughs) than, than this whole play at 11, wait, play at three 30. And then tomorrow, you know, this and that. So was there an advantage to playing like one match and then having like a day off and then like two days later or a day and a half later doing that? Or was there just this thing where you have to hit like the reset button on preparedness all over again? Well, I think, you know, if you're talking about an AVP event or domestic event, it's nice because you get to play back to back events, fix things, find your rhythm. um, And boom, you're kind of moving through the tournament. Um, But Mentally, it's just a different preparation. Obviously, when you play one game, then you're off a day and then another day, you know, getting physically ready, getting you have to be ready to go. It's your one match. You know, this is it. Um, Fatigue is usually not a factor, Um, but like getting in the zone, getting in your rhythm, that that's a challenge when your games are so spread out. Um, that's why it's so nice to play back to back. Like, you know, you know, you're moving through the bracket, you know, how many games you have to play and then you move on to, to the next day. I preferred, you know, that domestic style play where I grew up playing, you play your three or four matches on Saturday, three or four to win it on Sunday and you're done. And, and that's what I prefer, but you understand the big stage and the, you know, it's the Olympic games and managing all that stuff you're going to have to spread it out. So it's just kind of preparing mental. It's it's not so much a physical thing. Isn't it crazy to like, you see other sports like football. All right. 
you're it's a one and done thing you got to be the and, and this not necessarily the best team wins the best team that day you know give you an example the giants against the undefeated patriots right strahan was like we just need to be you know the better team today and then you got the nba and you have to figure out a way to beat a team four out of seven times and yeah. and i guess i'm trying to do an end around to my question. So be patient with me on this one. So do you, does it serve more of an advantage, I guess, just constantly playing as opposed to the off the court stuff? Like, you know who you play in the Olympics two days or a day and a half from now. Now you got time in the video room to analyze this player. And in my opinion, I just want to say as a caveat, that's what makes the Olympics more exciting because you don't, there is no feeling out process. You spend the first set feeling out someone in the Olympics. See, how, good luck. See how that works for you. You're, you're, yeah. you're, 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 before you can blink, you already got beer game the first set. So, is, well, the, the, the FIVB tour prepares you for that because you see all these teams. Okay. Um, but if you're a good team and you've qualified for the Olympic Games, you do an Olympic pre training camp and you focus on your weaknesses. You throw in some new plays, you throw in some stuff that, makes you even stronger. Um, and that's one of the things, like if you qualify ahead of time, you have that time to prepare and focus. And and obviously you've got broken down videos of every player and every player's tendency, and you have time to come up with a game plan. Um, obviously, you know, sometimes one player's hot, another player, you don't know what's gonna happen no. at the AVP. Hey, yeah, you know, so-and-so's on fire, stay away from her today, blue. You know, it's not a lot of time to prep. Um, so it's go out and do your best, bomb your serve, set up your defense, and then make some adjustments in game. Yeah. Um, so it's different strategy, um, but you, you have to be good at both. You really, yeah, definitely one doesn't exist right this is not um those those two things are not mutually exclusive and especially in the sport of beach volleyball and indoor volleyball for that matter they're binary i get that and to quote mike tyson you know everyone has a plan till they get punched in the face so right <laughs> sorry all right plan b all right we do this what about plan c i don't harrison ford i don't know i'm just making this up as we go <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, have to be able to pivot. Yeah, and I think that involves your training, right? Your training does allow you to pivot. Your training, you're, you are, you're like, all right, they're they're doing shots, and and maybe I got to change my balance, and um, they're using their shots to, or their power to set up shots, and I just got to be ready for both. And like you said, serve is king, right? Because serve out of system is going to dictate, you know, how how you're going to play those teams, and and we know that, I know that, but we got people who follow us, follow us who don't know that. So we got, you know, we got to do a little education to the masses and, and I'm getting an education myself as we speak. Um, so what's, what age did you start playing? So I would say maybe 10 or 11 years old. Um, my parents were divorced and we'd be with my dad on the weekends here in Manhattan Beach. And he, that's what he did on the weekends. He went down to 17th Street in Manhattan Beach with all his friends and they would play volleyball all day and we'd hang out at the beach. I mean, no better place to hang out. We boogie boarded, whatever, you know, and then we'd kind of start bumping around with, you know, them because they were all playing and they were kind enough to bump around with us. And then we got to the point where, okay, we could get on the court and actually play a game, step in with the adults um, and just kind of fell in love with the sport and took a little rec class at the Manhattan Beach Pier with Charlie Sakely um, and just fell in love with the sport from an early age. You know, I actually played beach before I played indoor. Um, seventh grade, I started playing indoor. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, Old school it, sister like you, you what? Yeah. You played beach first? <laughs> yeah, played okay. beach first. And, and very few people do that. So I, I, I'm blessed. But I got to, you know, grow up on the beach plane, which is the best place to play, obviously. Yeah. How much um, did it benefit you longevity wise to play beach first before indoor? Um, I don't know if longevity was the key. I think that what happened was as soon as I was done at UCLA, I had such a nice background of playing beach that I could step right in and make an impact on the pro tour. I was rookie of the year. 
um, in 91. Um, but I had all that, you know, background, all those pros at Marine Street are like, Hey, Holly, come serve and play some defense against me. You know, all the guy pros, Hey, Holly, come set me some balls, you know? And I was just a teenager hanging out at the beach. Why not? So I got all those reps and all that confidence and familiarity with a lot of the pro players. I was not intimidated. Um, so I think that's where it helped me. I had that background where a lot of players would finish playing after college. Then they like come and try and learn the beach game. That's not easy to do. And it would take them a couple of years. No, no doubt. Um, I'm going to ask you something that, I, that I've asked all my volleyball guests, um, which that's this podcast is still, it's still volleyball heavy. And in your case, I think it'd be volleyball malpractice if I didn't ask this. Uh, so my question is this, what, at what point was there a particular tournament or was there a particular match where you left the, 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 your sand game or tournament telling yourself, I think I can do this for a living. I think, um, wait a second. This is, this is fun for a little bit and I knew I was good, but I think I can be the very best at this. You know, it's interesting. Um, when I first came out on the tour, I, I, I mean, I thought I could do pretty well. Um, that was 91, 92. Um, I was like, okay, we got a fourth our rookie year. We, I know we can do better, but kind of trying to find the right partnership in 92 was funky night, but, but my off season was on point. I got strong. I repped the things I needed to rep. I looked at the top players. Um, my first two years, I'm like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? And what can I do better than them? Mm -hmm. And I was like on it by 93, I going into that season, I'm like, I'm ready to win and you're not going to stop me. I don't care if anybody believes in me. I do. And I brought it and uh, nobody thought I could win. And I won and I won and I won. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a mark on my back. Everybody wanted to beat me at that point, but I was so confident and I had put the work in um that the x factor was on my side i had the confidence um i had repped everything out and i was playing unbelievable volleyball and i got great partners to match my energy and work ethic and it all just kind of came together in that third year you know it's a very weird feeling because it's a feeling where you're experiencing a lot of pressure and at the same time you feel liberating liberated you know what i'm saying because you already know where you are all right, this is where I am. And and like you said, right, the hunter uh, the hunter is now the hunted. Yeah. But at the same time, once you have that established confidence in yourself and what you believe you can do in this and that, kind of kind of crazy feeling, huh? Like you're liberated and you're and and you have pressure. How about how about that? <laughs> Jeez. Well, yeah, I mean, I I obviously I gained all that confidence. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so fun. I kept wanting to get better." I yeah. I I knew that I was outworking everybody and I was not going to change that. Um, and obviously, yeah, it was, uh, it was, yes, I was confident that I could win every tournament with whoever I played with. I honestly believe that at that point, but at the same time, I never overlooked one opponent. I never said, Oh, that's going to be easy game. I don't care if you are a qualifier team playing me first round. I, I, I respected my opponents and I went out there and never ever did I look past anybody. Uh, and I think that was important because you, you don't want to like think you're better than anybody else. I know what it took to get where I was. So um, it was really important that I kind of respected the game and respected my opponents. Holly, I totally get that. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll step away from volleyball for a second. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. All right. All of our losses probably came from teams we were overlooking. We lost to the Jaguars. And at that time, they didn't even have a win in this country. <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, oh, you're listening to that team. Um, so cool. So I'll share my, my instance. Like, I thought I could play volleyball. I was a high school pickup game. I was, I was like this three, New York, you got to play basketball. You got to play football. Baseball, that is what it is. And I bought a book because I sucked at volleyball written by Doug Beals called the American Volleyball Coaches Association Handbook. And I was learning the, the, the four-step approach, fingerprints on the ceiling now, right? Um, you know, the elbow back, elbow forward, and this and that. So I experimented, and I went to a game, and someone gave me the, I said, dude, set me every ball, and if I miss one, don't set me again. And they set me 18 straight balls. <laughs> and I was like, 
I think I can do this. And three years later, I was playing outside in Darmstadt, Germany. I was playing outside hitter for, for a club team out there. I, you know, I was also in the United States Army. I played for that military community team. I tried it for the Army team, made that, you know. Um, so, and you've done some stuff for the troops too, right? Like this year, I think, um, I know last year was Ty Loomis. This year was Kelly Reeves. Um, have you done like, some of that like cross training I haven't for trips. Go, I haven't done those those trips where they go overseas. Um yeah. I have done gosh way back when I did something at Camp Pendleton. Um I did something with Karch gosh ugh, mid 90s um but I haven't done the big tours that they're doing now which looks really cool and really really amazing to meet the troops and teach them and hang out with them and get to know what they're uh, about and what their living experience is. Yeah. I, I don't know. In my mind, I thought you did because, you know, ambassador of the sport, brains, beauty. I'm like, this girl's like this. <laughs> I'm calling you a girl now. But this, this girl's like, I was going to say this chick and I, I got that wrong too. But this lady <laughs> is USO material. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I I love to give back. I've done a ton of stuff with Children's Hospital. And, you know, I like to do stuff like that. I just was busy, never had the opportunity. Um, I mean, like I said, I did do some clinics and interactions at different times, but um, I didn't get to do the long tour that some of the players are getting to do now, which is pretty cool. Holly, you have a powerful personality. And at the same time, your powerful personality is not intimidating. It, it seems it's very approachable. It seems friendly. Um, I talked to my wife and she kind of agrees a little bit that you look at Lauren Bacall, you look at Sophia Loren, you look at Ingrid Bergman, you look at these old black and white film actresses, the kind of woman that walks into the room and like men know how to behave. They stand up and like, no, no, come on. You know, please, please sit. You're embarrassing me. Um, and I'm gonna ask you this question, and and it, please don't think that I'm asking you questions where your answers have to be self-serving. I'm just it's just coming from an honest place. Is this personality, this uh, the ability to to actually be one of the boys, where like everyone in the room is unisex? Um, does it come from your competitive nature and just you keeping your nose in the work that, or was that something that you've always had or was that something where you you just kept your nose in the work you're not looking to the left and to the right and you let and you let your production do the talking that commanded that respect do you understand the question i mean I yeah was all over yeah kind of i think i i know what you're getting at so i grew up i have a twin brother okay so i grew up playing sports with the boys mm -hmm. um i hung out with the boys um, through high school and college, I had a boyfriend where I was around all the boys. I love watching sports with them. I mean, I, I love sports. And um, I think fortunately for me, I, I was, you know, I guess confident in who I was as a person um, and just felt comfortable, you know, and I, that's one of the, my, the things I feel really blessed with. I feel confident in who I am. Um, I don't need to talk about my career with my young athletes. I, I rarely ever say, hey, I'm an Olympian, I'm this, I'm that. I'm about building up my athletes. Hey, I, there, this is my experience. Why don't you try this? Or why don't you try this? I want to help prop up young women. I want to give them confidence. I know how hard it is, but confidence is everything. And learning to, one, advocate for yourself. Two, set goals for yourself. If you want to achieve something, like put your mind to it, right? I mean, these are things that have served me well in life and I want to share those. So I think for some reason through sports, I gained a lot of confidence um, in myself mm -hmm. and not that I was better than anybody, but I felt good about who I was as a person and it just made me comfortable moving through my goals, moving through my career. And now as a coach, I feel like it gives me an advantage. I, there are some coaches who are like, oh, you owe me this for your eye. I, I have the best cut shot in the world because of me, or you have the best cut shot. But, you know, and I'm just not one of those. Like, I'm not one of those who needs all that attention. Yes, it feels good to be appreciated, but I've already had a great career. I'm here to help you and facilitate you. But at the same time, I would like to be respected and appreciated. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? I don't have anything to prove there. So I think confidence um, came through sports and it just blossomed and, and made me who I am.
It makes complete sense. In a sense that as a child, the first time you will ever experience a loss, most children that experience that loss isn't a sporting event. The, 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 the first time a kid is ever probably going to lose at something, you know, their spelling bees is this and that. But for the most part, the first time you got to deal with a win or a loss is a sporting event. And I think right now you're at Elite, right? Yes. You're at Elite. Okay. I was, as you remember, I was with um, Duran. I was with Endless Summer for like 100 years. And now I was done with the junior scene, didn't want to do it anymore. You know, no more entitled kids. And then Jason Olive and Dane approached me with LAB, LA uh, Volleyball Club in LA Beach. So now I'm back in it. Now I'm, I'm going to be coaching for both. So. Um, oh, do they have, do they have a beach club? Uh, Dane is, I think, going to do something separate from Stein or take over for Stein for LA Beach. Because it's oh. L- LA Volleyball Club in LA Beach. So Dane, oh, uh, Dane was in non-traditional season and now he's probably in his season, but they both came to me together and asked me to, if I wanted to coach both. And I'm like, How can I? you know, if you did it individually, I probably would have said no. I'm like, no, I'm enjoying my podcast. You, as, I don't know if you knew I was doing some tra- I'm commentating. Uh, I was finally getting some gigs. I was at Coconut Beach. Atlantic City had the, that tournament. Cameron Urban did center court. I did court too. Because um, honestly, I think I'm the best one on the planet. In my mind, because you, you have to believe this, I believe I'm the best one on the planet when it comes to that. I've had bad days, which are still good days. But the reason why I even brought up the whole elite thing uh, and, and the beach thing is because the hugest challenge, particularly in our region, is not getting caught up in the validation game. It's yeah. not getting caught up with someone saying like, who are you? I don't know you. And then all of a sudden you're like, fuck you. You know, like I did this, I did that, I did this. And the next thing you know, you become what you despise, <laughs> you know? And for you to, to spend your entire career in this region, Holly, and not even, not even a step on that 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 kind of landmine. It's commendable. Cameron Irwin's calling me right now. Yeah. You can pick <laughs> it up. Send her, pick it up. I turned off my phone. You can pick it up. Say no, hi. No, Tell her you're with me. She'll hate me. It's fine. <laughs> All right, because I already told her her and Kevin Barnett are my like worst, least favorite combination as in, as individuals. Yeah, I mean someone's got to say it. But is it look as individuals? She's very talented. She, yeah. she, she, she worked with Boron in Atlantic City, right? And Kevin Barnett, indoors, God. There's a lot of things I never knew about these international indoor players I never knew. But, but um, better that it come from me to say it to their face than me go like, oh, hi, hi, how you doing? And then say that. That's not right. I'm, I'm from New York. I don't do that. You Honesty. Know? Yeah, but, but not too disrespectful. I didn't say they yeah. sucked. You know, I just said they're not my, I said that they're not my most favorite. <laughs> so, yeah. so. Well, how- comparison is a thief of joy. I mean, just. You don't want to compare yourself to one another. Be the best person you can be. And yeah. hopefully that takes care of itself, right? Yeah. I mean, don't you think people say, I mean, the people who have followed me have a whole bunch of shit to say about me too. I can I can take it, you know? You know, I yeah. mean, with that being said, they, they don't have a whole lot on you. And again, uh, I'm not saying you enjoy that privilege because you've earned that privilege where people don't come at you like that. You're like the Bernie Sanders of volleyball, you know? Like, like in, look, in politics... In politics, you, it's very easy to take someone's worst moment, something they did 20 years ago, they said 20 years ago, throw out all that other good stuff and say that's who you are, which I think is extremely lazy, but people do that. But with that being said, they're not going to find a whole lot on Bernie, right? Like his message, whether you like him or not, has been the same for like 40 years. And I'm not even, I'm, I didn't even vote for the guy. I'm just trying to use someone yeah, yeah. who's been consistent and their message has been consistent from as far back as you know them. And... Yeah. She's like, do you have a question? <laughs> so, um, no, I think, I guess the question is how much of a challenge? Because you have, what are your age groups, 12 to 18? Uh, yeah, I would say Pretty 12 much, to 18. Right? Yeah, cool. Yeah, we're right now I'm doing 13s and it's the, the youngest age group I've ever coached and it is... It is enriching. I mean, don't tell Jason this. I would do it for free. Okay. I would really, this is the kind of work you want to do all your life. You know, um, I, I've done NCAA, I've done whatever, this and that, but this is, oh, this is it. How much importance do you have as far as, do you, I guess my question is, do you isolate your kids from the validation game? Or do you let them know up front? This is this is what people are are gonna are, might say and don't get caught up in it. You know, let's do some prevention. Um, you know, I, I I think we try and be good examples. Um, I like to be constructive. Um, you know, 
being positive with young athletes is important. I mean, life's tough being a young female athlete, social media and the pressures from parents and all this stuff. So we want to be a positive influence on them. Um, but at the same time, you know, you don't want them to to put too much emphasis on, oh, the podium finishes, the social media, the this, that. Like, don't compare yourself to the other athletes. You are on your own time schedule. Just be your best and do the work. So be mindful every rep when you come to the beach. And, and that's what's going to set you up for success for you. Somebody else can be all world right now, but you could pass them up just doing that like little chug, 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 the little engine that could, you can pass them up. So I think the big thing for these young athletes is one, believing in yourself, two, being mindful of what you're doing, like mind-body connection. Um, sometimes at a young age, they're not really there. I've, I've noticed seventh, eighth graders kind of hit or miss. Sometimes they're all in and they get it and they're there. Sometimes they're not. So um, just kind of getting them on in the right mindset to be the best they can be. And, and you know what, you're here to get better. Let's put in the time. I know it's social. It's fun to be here with your friends, but why not just put the effort in and be the best you can be? Cause I think that is a lesson that will benefit you in whatever you do. If you're at work, be the best you can be. I don't care if you're at McDonald's flipping burgers, be the best burger flipper there is. I mean, take pride in what you do. I'm a firm believer in that kind of an attitude. Definitely. And always, and and I'll, I'll add a caveat to that, always know that you deserve more when you work hard, right? Like if I'm the best at sweep, sweeping a street and if people only know me by sweeping a street, I'm only gonna be sweeping streets, you know? So always, you did that, you continue to do that, continue to evolve. Uh, to quote Conor McGregor, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough, you know? Um, or, sorry, an even better quote. Joe Rogan says, um, you have a finite amount of time on this earth, right? It can be a good time or it can suck. And if it sucks, you have to fight like hell to change it as if your life depended on it. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, I think growth mindset, regardless. I mean, we all come from different situations. I was not born with a silver spoon. I had to work for everything. I had zero money when I started on the AVP tour. Um, I had to charge my first trip on, on a credit card praying that I could win it back. Um, so, you know, the growth mindset, I always believed that I could do it. I put in the hard work to be the best that I could be so I could grow and, and have those experiences. And every time I had an opportunity, I embraced it. And I try and teach the young athletes to do the same thing. Nice. Jason Olive just texted me. We should call this, this episode the glam cam. <laughs> glam cam? Why glam? <laughs> I mean, is there anything about us that looks glamorous? No, I don't know. no. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn, and you, and you're like a dude with long hair. <laughs> you yeah. know, so. I'm in my office. Yeah, plugging away. Is that your office? It's my office. Yeah, yeah, this is this is mine too. This this little this little backdrop is all facade. But if you look around the if if you come here, look around the room, it's definitely a Brechtian setup. I'm not trying to fool nobody. You know, mm -hmm. I, it is what it is. So. um we talked about juniors, we talked about growth mindset, which by the way, has working with John Merritt at LMU for two years was, you know, I was his assistant, I was a DOO, took a spike like five by um, 150%. Like I've had a little bit of growth mindset, but my old school um, um, mentorship, Mario Trebich, don't know if that's an old name. Mario Trebich is on the um, assistant on the women's national team, 84, USA team, and then Soviet, oh, wow. Un Soviet Union, 88. And then I met him in Barcelona, 92. I was there watching USA play Japan. He's, he, he was my mentor because I was doing clinics for him, Bob Bertucci clinics. And then he won a gold in 96 with the Netherlands. So he's three silvers and a gold. But anyway, um, old school, we didn't, you know, you know it's, I would tell someone to do something. The coach is like, they're like, coach, but why? And I'm like, <laughs> why? <laughs> you know, why in your vocabulary, mother, mother, you know, whatever. But. <laughs> I learned a little bit, the difference on coaching women and men. I, uh, women, to my understanding, please stop me. Cut me off at any point, because I could talk all day. Women, I, I understand, respond more to, um, are more about togetherness, sisterhood, team concepts. So you never say anything uh, that's gonna uh, make a girl feel um, alienated from her team, right? And guys are more inspired by like, like this individual leadership performance. Say it, you're, you're gonna stop me, yeah, come on. Yeah, you know, 
we want to be part of something bigger than us. Mm-hmm. We want to work as a group and, and each of us has very important roles. We want to work as a group to achieve that goal together. We enjoy that. Um, and we're more emotional, um, but we will fight to the end together because we love each other. We put in the work together. I mean, for example, my UCLA team in 1990 was such an amazing group of women. I mean, they all in every day, we battled for our starting positions. Some people lost their starting positions, but they were still supportive of the team. And to this day, I have a text chain on my phone with that UCLA volleyball team. We share birthdays and kids' birthdays and achievements and we all support each other. And, and it was the most powerful group of women I've ever been a part of. And it was one of the biggest launching pads because when all, when people believe in one another and support one another, especially women, I mean, we're compared More to one so. another, we're this, we're that. When we help build one another and support one another, it is the most powerful thing you can imagine. And it's helped a lot of us, um, you know, do great things in life. 90 was the year you guys won, right? Correct. That was my the very first college match I ever watched. And I wasn't okay. sure if it was 90 or 91. My first women's match was you guys, you won. And my first men's match, and this will take you back because you were, you were there around that time, it was USC against Long Beach State. It was Brian Ivey. It was Greenbaum. Uh, it was Tom Kellick, six, Tom Selleck's kid. What's his kid's name again? Uh, um, Bernard Shepard or something like that? No. Um, Ah, oh, can't it'll come back. Nick Becker, you know, and then you had the goofy foot, Long Beach State. It was um, Brenton Hildebrand. Yep. Yep, Brenton Hildebrand. You had Stimpig, Setting, Lefty. Um, yep. So that my first men's match was them. And wow. my first women's match was you. And cool. then later on, I had Dana on the podcast. We talked about Pepperdine. They won in 92. That wasn't talk about an all-star game, right? You had Canyon Seaman for Stanford. You had yeah. uh, um, Sorensen, Greg Schenkel. We see him in the South Bay all the time. His, I think his niece is like a, a like a savage player right now. So Maddie Micheletti. Yeah, she graduated from Cal, but she was a very good player at Cal. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So you let's let's maybe enter some touchy territory. And we can talk about it or not. Your your first year at Cali, Cal, your coach left, and there was a certain approach to the way the team was being run that you and that you and your competitive nature rubbed you the wrong way. And you look like you're in the middle of just making a decision to say, "Hey, look, I'm at the smart kid school. Let me get this degree. Let me just forget about volleyball and this and that." What made you change your mind? and transfer to UCLA, there was something or someone that said, hey, Holly, let's, you know, you don't have to do one, you're going to regret this, probably saying you're going to regret this, you can do both. Let's, let's just get it. Let's just get it in. What changed your mind? First of all, I spent three years at Cal. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to Cal because (laughs) I wanted to help. See (laughs) this? Throwing that away. Go ahead. (laughs) I wanted to help build the program. It's a great academic school. Uh, I wanted to get out of LA, just growth mindset, get away from home, figure out how to survive on my own. Um, And again, build the program. Uh, Our coach left the first year A new coach came in. He was okay. Um, But by the third year, he was unbearable. He was unprofessional, uh, didn't put the work in, had lots of issues um, and was not a good leader. And so he and I butted heads because I was the leader on the court as the setter. Um, and it just kind of blew up at the end of my junior year. I couldn't play another day for him. He didn't want to coach me another day. (laughs) And I decided I went to the athletic department and said, look, here's my situation. I cannot play for this man. He's not doing what we need to do to be the top program. Um, and they said, look, we understand we support you. You can keep your scholarship, but you don't have to play volleyball for him. And I'm like, I appreciate that. Thank you. But I'm going to give up my scholarship and I'm going to move home to Manhattan Beach and I'm going to try and walk on at UCLA. So in order to do that, I had to give up my scholarship and I had to petition what was then the Pac-10 for an extra year of eligibility. Because the rule was if you transferred within the conference, you sat a year and you lost a year. Right. And because of my situation, um, it, they had to, you know, meet about it, talk about it. 
And fortunate for me, I was able to go try out for UCLA on day two, the, the meeting adjourned and they said, look, you have a year of eligibility. We're not going to penalize you. You can play at UCLA this year. The next day, Andy Bianikowski, who's the head coach at UCLA, awarded me a scholarship. Um, so I like laid it all out there, went for it. And then obviously the season was a fairy tale season for me. I met this a powerful group of women who wanted to win a national championship. They had a couple missing pieces. I helped fill those voids. They helped fill the voids in my life. And together we did something great. And we lost one match in the preseason and went on to just dominate the season and win an NCAA championship. So it was, it was powerful. It was meant to be. Um, but it was painful. I didn't want to leave Cal. I loved it there. I wanted to, you know, I went there to achieve something. And because somebody else got in my way, I had to pivot and do something else. And it wasn't easy, um, but I learned from it. And, you know, it was it was hard. It was hard, but it turned out amazing. And I'll, I don't regret it for a minute. Hold on a second. You guys were undefeated that season you won? No, we lost one match in the in the preseason. Okay. I didn't even start because I was working to get my starting <laughs> job. I was new on the team. Yeah, you're like um, I just registered for classes, guys. Yes. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was it was an amazing year. So there were there was no um, motivation or like a person that that caused this inciting incident besides that coach being a uh, uh, um, an unprofessional whatever we want to call them. I mean, this is my podcast and I I usually speak off the cuff, but I feel like I'm speaking to a lady, so I'm trying to chill, okay? Um, yeah, I mean, but it was, was him. But was there someone like at UCLA or whatever, or, or it's just something no. you're like, wait, I got to pivot. I got to do this on no. my own. Nobody gives there a shit. There was nothing. Yeah. I, I looked at other schools too to, to transfer to, but UCLA made the most sense. It was another UC school. Um, they recruited me in the beginning and I made the decision to go to Cal. Um, so it was no strictly based on the coach and the fact that I couldn't play one more day for that man. No, good, good. And like you said, I mean, your, your level of regret diminishes almost to the point of nothing when you, when you embrace this new team, this team that you guys take each other in, you guys, your styles complement each other. You have this, this, this chemistry, then you move it like this unit, like, uh, um, I forgot who said it. it's probably Marv Dunphy or whatever. It's not like six people. It's like one dragon, like 12 eyes, yeah. 12 years, yeah. 12. Yeah. 12, and we had a good and leader. One, and, and one big heart. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Andy Benikowski was our leader. He expected the the same from all of us. It was just it was, you know, it was a perfect storm. Yeah. Do you know, on another note, but related, do you know what makes John Mayer such a good coach? The whole thought that you, you have to look at that face because you disappointed him <laughs> will break your fucking heart. <laughs> John Mayer. Uh, and I've coached some women's team. I'm, I was predominantly men, but I, the women's programs, there was so much drama. I remember the women's teams I coached. This man, for the, the entire 2017, 2018, and much of the 2019 season, zero drama. Just everyone's in there. There's no, and I don't mean to sound sexist about this, but there's always some drama bullshit when it comes to these women's, some of these women's teams. This man was probably the first program that I worked with, and the players made a note of that to let him know at the end of the season. We were so glad there was zero drama because you have transfers from here, maybe Florida State, yeah, there and this or whatever. And and some of these coaches, like you said, you're like, man, for a long time, this is my escapism, but now this is my career. Why does, why does it have to be a miserable place to come to work or come to, uh, like you said, come to put in the work? You know, well, should, volleyball, yeah, should, we, should as coaches, we should never do that. We should never cre create this environment where, you're, where this sport you, you love so much, you're like, you shouldn't be like, oh, man, I got practice. You know, I mean, damn, any kid that says that, we fail. Holly, yeah. we fail as coaches, you know? Yeah, I or, mean, or, or they're not where they should be. They should be doing something else if they're not passionate about it, right? I mean, you got to do what you love. You don't want to do it because of your parents. You need to do it because... You love it. One of the things I learned from one of the parents, I, I would give private lessons to their daughter and she would drive an hour, uh, sometimes longer to come train with me. And the parents always gave her the cash to hand to me, realizing that they were investing, that this was a transaction. It wasn't just like this 
thing that didn't exist, you know? Um, and so it was an investment they were making. So they wanted to make sure that this child or athlete was all in. I, we're investing in you. Here's the, the money to give to your coach. Make sure that you're aware that we're investing in you and you need to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. And it, the minute that it's not fun for you or you're not all in, then you need to tell your parents. And that's the challenge for juniors volleyball, Holly. That's the challenge for juniors volleyball. When I was 14, I was pretty sure I was going to be an accountant until I went to college and took principles of accounting. I dropped out. I was at Hunter College for a cup of coffee, played some NCAA volleyball. I'm like, forget this college shit. And then I realized I wanted to be a theater performer. I auditioned, got in the Marymount Manhattan, their BFA program, which which you're going to laugh. I didn't know it was ranked number two at the time because, you know, when you when you realize when you have all that pressure, you probably choke. So not knowing, you know, ignorance is not only bliss here. It was it was it was highly convenient. But I'm getting my point is, are these kids old enough to know what they want? And uh, uh, at what point does a 13 year old or 14 year old know that uh, that this is what they want? when they're still developing psychologically, they're still developing physically. And, when, and, and you got these coaches saying you're not going to, you know, you're probably going to play libero, you want to play outside hitter, forget about that. I'm just being real, you know. And that, I think my question is, where do we as coaches provide that balance and present them with reality, but at the same time, present them, make have them make sense of their choices? Um, does that no, no age limit? Yeah, I, I think it's super individual. I have an eighth grader right now who lives and breathes volleyball. I, I mean, I, I joke that she plays eight days a week. She would love to. I mean, if she she plays every day, loves it, um, rain, shine, doesn't matter. She's coming and she's coming and she's bringing her energy. You can tell the kids that are into it and the kids that aren't. You really can. Um, the longer you do this, yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, some people are enjoying the experience, ex- enjoying the social um, parts of it. But you can tell the kids that are really into it and want to do something great. And yep, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I can only speak for myself where I will never line up a bunch of kids against the wall and tell them what they can and can't do. At, the, at that age, Holly? Never set limitations no, on anybody. No, but, but, but with that being said, what we can do is be real and present their choices. If you have a girl that's 5'9", that wants to be an outside hitter, Tell her, look, <laughs> the sports evolve. They're like, they're like, even the outsides are Amazons now. But if you want to be an outside hitter, as coaches, boom, do this, do this, do this. Then we come see each other and reevaluate. Yeah. That's well, you have that's to be how exceptional. You have to be I exceptional. Yeah. I mean, how many small players, you know, mm-hmm. want to make it? And I, I'm like, look, I'm a small player. I believed in myself. I get it. Jackie Silva, sorry. You have to be exceptional. You can't be mediocre in any area. You have to make up for that because whether they take a big player who's got good skills or a little player, I mean, you have to give them a reason to, to take you. you got to win tournaments. It's not enough to, you know, just show up. You have to be exceptional. And there's a lot of players on the small side trying to make it. And, and or they say, Oh, I can't block. I'm like, I'm under five seven. I can block. I never said I couldn't block, and I never would even say, "Oh, I'm not going to block." And they're they're like they won't even go stand up at the net if their partner's serving. I'm like, "Excuse me, why aren't you getting up to the net to serve uh, to block?" Oh well, uh, I'm like, "No, no. Everybody has to be able to do all the skills, if you, especially if you want to play this at the next level." Hundred percent. I I um, and that's where I was coming from. And thank you for echoing my sentiment on that. It, we. Tell them, look, when it comes to this physical and how you came out of the womb, life isn't fair. Um, will you have to run 150 yards where that guy only has to run the 100 yards or the 100-meter dash? Do you, have to, do you have to run 150? Yeah, it sucks. Uh, what are your choices? Are, do you not, are, your choices are to not run it at all. Yeah. Your choices are to take it kicking and screaming, which is yeah. mentality. It's already a defeatist mindset, right? Because and, and now it's more slippery and this and that. Or yeah. like you said, you can do regret doing something the best you can yeah i mean there's you there's Kristen nuss there there are people that no one talks about their height because they play big yeah look at trevor crab how tall is trevor crab six four six five does anyone call that man an undersized blocker no no because why because he plays big holly 
You're, yeah. you're, you you're have whole, to play big. How you have long snow big. career? Nobody's ever, nobody that I know has ever referred to you as an undersized player. Yeah. No, you just find a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just a player and yeah, I, you know, yeah, that's it. That's the thing. You, you just have to kind of embrace it. I, this is the vehicle that I was given and I'm going to do the most that I can with it. And, and that was how I approached it. How do we inspire other, I mean, this is, maybe we can't, how do we inspire the coaches to have the same mindset? And even as, even in the South Bay, there are people who enlist the best players and they're just glorified babysitters. Yeah, hold on. Let me say this to the camera. Yeah, yeah, I said it. So, um, no, but there are good coaches and there are people who are glorified babysitters who are just sitting there taking their rocks off of what the other girls can do, all right? And I guess, what, what can we do? The only thing we can do is keep our nose in the work and, and see, if, see if people realize that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all, obviously all we can do is control what we, what can, we can touch, you know, and through positive reinforcement and confidence and honesty and, you know, putting in the energy into these young athletes and so they can learn these lessons. First of all, these athletes are not just learning how to play beach volleyball. They're learning life lessons, sports it, are, are so much bigger than the skill that you're le- in the, the competition. These are life lessons that will benefit you for the rest of your life. I mean, you learn how to work within a team. You learn how to work under a boss. You learn how to uh, overcome obstacles. You learn how to deal with adversity. You learn how to deal with setbacks. I mean, these are all things that I use every single day every single day in my life. And I learned them through sport. So this is what I'm the most grateful for. Um, And I hope to share those kinds of lessons with my young athletes and also hope that they know that I'm trying to help build them up and help prepare them to do the same and succeed in whatever area. I don't care if they go into beach volleyball. They do great. Yeah. But whatever they do, be the best that they can be. I don't know if you can see in the back. Oh, I see see the box. You can see the bottom, it says, whatever you are, be a good one. So whatever you want to be, just be the best that you can be, you know, and take pride in that. I love that. Holly, so so first, can you tell me maybe a, a story, a short or a long story where, um, this might be outside of volleyball, where someone who's played for you in juniors and has gone on to college, because right now, a lot of the people that we've, we've been coaching, we had something called this boom period, right? Where like, you know, Eden and Ava Kay and all these people were balancing time back and forth on the summer and this and that and with the lead, I think, Natalie Miskowski. Is there, is there like a particular story that someone came back to you and said that they appreciate how much better that they become as a person? Not as, not as a volleyball player or just, um, or, or, or was there like a conversation, a kid has come back or even a parent was like, look, you know, and again, this is, I know this is not an easy question because the answer sounds self-serving, but this, we have an audience that we're obligated to, to, to inspire too. So, um, so labor through this with me. Was there well, a particular story? Yeah. There's no particular like story, but, but, you know, I reach out to all my former players and send them notes of support and how are you doing? How are things going? Sometimes they're injured. Uh, a lot of times they reach out to me if they're struggling and I try and, you know, say, hey, you know, this is hard right now, but you're going to get through it. And hey, have you tried this? You know, different approaches to get through challenging situations. So the fact that they feel comfortable um, knowing that I'm not going to judge them and knowing that I'm here to help them. Um, to me, that's the biggest compliment. Um I want these young women to have the tools to succeed in whatever it is, whether it's beach volleyball, whether it's dealing with an injury, whether it's moving on, not playing beach volleyball, doing something else that they're more passionate about. So I don't have a particular story, but I do feel like a lot of my athletes know that I am here as a sounding board if they ever needed me and that I applaud them and cheer for them in every aspect of their lives. So I think they know that I care and I think that's really important. I think, you know, it's a tough world out there and especially you're competing. There's a competitive women, it's it's tough. You know, everybody wants, you know, if, if you're in the pairs, you know, at a certain college, oh, everyone wants to be that top pair. But all of those pairs matter the same. They score the same exact point. 
and it takes five great pairs to win a national championship. <laughs> Just ask um, Stein. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously the supporting cast, those players who are ready to go in case somebody gets injured and can step in or who make those kids or, or athletes at practice um, better every day. So, um, you know, that's kind of what I've learned and, and that's what I hope that my athletes are getting from me. I've had a lot of athletes come back and say, thank you for all that you did. I've gone to their graduation parties and it's fun to say, hey, you know, I'm so proud of you. I knew you back then. And it's just fun to see you evolve into a beautiful, confident, successful, hardworking young woman. Yeah, and I think that's where volleyball joins the club of all-around sports. You know, I, I, again, I grew up in a basketball culture, and there are some kids that go to the coach and have been like, I would have never made it through school if I didn't play basketball for you. You, yeah. you know what I mean? And and, and it's, it's refreshing to know that volleyball, um, excuse me, is not – um, any different at the end of the day you know, when you're competing and like you're saying try, just trying to be the best that you want to be let's dip to men's beach for, for a split second because I wanted to talk about and I don't know how long you got but I got I wanted to talk about women's NCAA volleyball and how that's impacted club but I have like five minutes maybe oh, the, oh the hell maybe with that ten. then let's um so <laughs> sorry all right so Let's kind of do a lightning round question. I'll do. I'll give you. In fact, I'll start. A, I'll start a, a clock. <laughs> I okay. have a clock. Where can men's volleyball take uh, level up? We have the elite athletes. We have people that can physically play the game. What's one thing we can do to level up against the rest of the world? Well, I, I, a platform. <laughs> it, the bigger the platform, the more young male athletes are attracted. The more money that gets put into it and the more growth in the sport. Okay, scale of one to 10, how much is NCAA beach volleyball um, affected uh, women's uh, girls club? Oh gosh, scale of one to 10 and 10. I mean, the fact that these young athletes can go play in college, it's aspirational now. Yeah. Uh, do you like the beach or a pool? What do you mean? Do you like going in the water in the beach or a swimming pool? Oh gosh, the beach. <laughs> Dumb question. Whoever, whoever, whoever hoodwinked me into asking that. Um, last good book you read? Oh gosh, uh, Suli by uh, Grisham. I mean, I, 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 I thought like, you were gonna say I don't read. I'm like Holly. <laughs> oh my gosh, no! I have three pages left, and it's such a good book, and it just. <laughs> Something so sad happened last night. I was like, oh, um, no, I love to read. I was an English major. Um, I've been actually trying to really make more time to read because I absolutely love reading. And my son, who's 10, almost 11, is voracious reader. Excellent. Yeah. So it's fun. He, you know, his passion kind of reminded me that I love to read and I'm trying to read more. Yeah, for me it was um, Hildebrand's um, Unbroken. That was the last good book I read. Okay. I also saw the movie. I'm also fascinated by World War II, so my objectivity is not really uh, exactly balanced on that. Uh, and I guess, Holly, that's all I got because I wanted to finish by saying this. Congratulations for the Miracosta. I think that they retired your jersey or was that a Hall of Fame thing? Um, I was Hall of Fame like maybe five or six years ago as a Miracosta student okay. or for indoor volleyball, but um, the Miracosta indoor team retired my number recently which was really fun and it's fun to be in the gym for the first time it's beautiful scale of one to ten how did you feel emotionally when you got inducted into the hall of fame in 2009 um i mean honored i yeah. i'm <laughs> i go back to this you know i was a young 10 11 year old player bumping the ball around on the court fell in love with the sport at an early age had so many beautiful opportunities um, through the sport of volleyball, both beach and indoors, I traveled the world. My mind was just, you know, opened up and everything I got to see and do because of the sport of volleyball. So to be inducted into the Hall of Fame is just kind of a cherry on top. It's a blessing. I'm so grateful um, that, you know, I was introduced to the sport at a young age because what it's given to me is just immeasurable. Yeah, Holly, um, we left so much on the table. I wanted to talk about commentating, uh, you know, and this and that and your impact on that. But maybe we can do this again in the near future because uh, I know I talk too much and it took very a long time for us to actually get into the brunt of this. But you, uh, my, the respect I already said in the beginning of this podcast is profound. Um, you are, um, there is not, I will say it again, like I said in the beginning, there's not a, a player, male or female, 
that I respect more than you. As as far as the world of color commentating, which is something I'm into as far as uh, coaching juniors uh, or, or commentating on, on the NCAA level and the professional level, and as far as all the work that you put in as a player that inspire the people after you. And that's all I want to say about that. You finish yeah. by telling people who want to get to know Holly McPeak more. What's your website? Let's tag that or Insta. Or I don't even have a website anymore. Don't but need I, one. You're, I, a, gang- on you're a gangster. <laughs> at Holly McPeak on Instagram. Um, my beach volleyball club is elite beach volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thank you. I mean, especially the commentary, because I really appreciate that you said that you like my commentary. I mean, I love the sport and I want to share the sport with the people that are watching the NCAA beach volleyball on TV is my favorite event that I've ever been a part and that was, of. That was on here. I wanted, I mean, we left that on the table for next oh, time, for next time. I'm, I love it. I yeah. love it. So I can't mm-hmm. wait till May of this year to do it. Hopefully they hire me. Yeah. But they Look, that's commentating malpractice. All right. Let's uh, say they hired me and not you. I'm going to go hiding. No way. No way. I Look, I know I'm better. In my mind, I know I'm better than you. So we, <laughs> so because I'm, that's how our minds work. But no, it's got to be you. You're the best. Uh, be- uh-huh. There's Marlo. I like Kevin Wong, Dane, I'm biased. And there's, and of course, the most respected player in the sport of beach volleyball, that's Holly McPeak. So Thank for everybody you. else, Holly might love you, but I can't stand you, all right? In fact, I'm Hater J today. I am out of here. So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPhones, for all of you on your desktop, for all of you on your Droid, for Holly McPeak, this is episode 123 or 124. I'm Jason DeBeer. This is the Option Podcast. Stay with me. I'm going to run my music. We're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.